All right, please turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1. We recently began a study through the letter of 1 Peter called Following Christ in a Fallen World. And so I'd ask you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 3. The title of the sermon this morning is Joy in the Midst of Grief and Suffering. And when we think about following Christ in a fallen world, we recognize that grief and suffering are realities in a fallen world. Living in this fallen world means that we will face grief and suffering. But I'm here to give you the good news that God's word says that we can have real joy even in the midst of that grief and suffering. And you say, how is that possible? Well, again, I, I pray and trust that the text today will explain why that is the case. But first, I'd ask the congregation to please stand for the reading of God's word. Our passage we want to focus on this morning is verses 6 through 9, but I'll begin reading verse 3 to give us the context. So let's follow along in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Thanks be to God for his word. Please be seated. Again, the question I'm posing this morning is, how can believers have real joy in the midst of grief and suffering? But before we get to that, first let's just acknowledge that believers face grief and suffering. Again, we live in a fallen world and, and I know I don't really need to tell this to many of you because you're going through it, but we face real suffering, and suffering produces grief. I'm going, I'm choosing to go out of order in the sermon outline, but notice down there, result number one under suffering is this, suffering brings grief. Suffering brings grief, Right? You might say, thank you, Captain Obvious, right? But sometimes in Christianity, I think there's a misconception that we're supposed to not show our grief or not admit that we're grieving, right? We're kind of supposed to just put on a fake smile, maybe give a Christian cliche and just kind of power through it, you know? How are you? Oh, everything's fine, you know? Praise God. But loved ones, that's, that's not how we're to live the Christian life. And Peter doesn't try to do that with with the people he's writing to. He knows they're going through suffering and he acknowledges that. Look at verse 6. 
He says, you have been grieved by various trials. He knows they're going through trials, and he knows these trials have brought grief. Trials are hard. Suffering is painful. Again, Peter's honest about that. You read in the Psalms, the psalmists are honest about that, right? They're honest when they're suffering, when they're grieving. Psalm 42, verse 3, the psalmist says, My tears have been my food all day long. Right? He was going through trials. We, I preached on that psalm a few weeks ago. His life was being turned upside down, and he was grieving. We, we need to admit when we're grieving, and then we're, what, what do we do with that grief, right? We're to bring that grief to God, first and foremost. We bring that grief to God. We don't try to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. We don't try to pretend like, ah, oh, it's no big deal, you know, shake it off like the world says. No, no. We bring that grief to God because he can comfort us and he loves to comfort us by his, his grace and his love. So we bring the grief to God, but then what I'm encouraging you to do is also be honest with others in your life, other brothers and sisters in Christ, other trusted members of the church. Let them know, I mean, they may know a little bit of what you're going through, but let them know how you're grieving Let them know the challenges you're facing. Make your needs known, and then I pray that we would be a church that cares well for those who are grieving and suffering. Right? And that takes some wisdom. And, and, you know, that's not what the whole message is about today, but I would just say this. When you're given the opportunity, when when you encounter someone who's grieving and suffering, Sit with them in that grief. Sit with them in that suffering. Right? The Bible says we grieve with those who grieve. I know we want to help and, and, you know, we're immediately trying to think of, you know, some truths that we can bring them. And and there's there's a time for that, certainly. But first, we just need to grieve with them. Just sit with them. Just listen. Pray with them. In your prayer, maybe you can kind of remind them of some truths and point them back to the Lord. But let us not be too quick to do that before we have sat with someone in their grief. So yes, life in this fallen world is hard. Believers experience pain and suffering. The text makes that clear. But again, the big idea, the beautiful thing, the good news is that we can have joy even in the midst of that grief and suffering. And we see that in our text. Again, look at verse 6. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Isn't that interesting? In the same verse, in the same sentence, you've got rejoicing and grieving. Christians can be grieved, yet rejoicing. Christians can be grieved, yet rejoicing. We can feel two things at once, can't we? Right? We can feel grief from the trial, yet still have an abiding joy. That's something that uh, I think God's been teaching me, that this idea of you can feel two things at once. That's kind of helpful. I think that, that helps us sort through, that helps us process when we're going through something. I can be feeling two things at once, right? 
For example, when, as my kids go away to college, right, you know, I mean, I'm feeling a lot of grief. You know, I'm feeling part of my heart just being torn out. But yet at the same time, I'm happy for them, right? I'm excited. This is God's will. I mean, can't wait to see what he does in your life, right? We can feel two things at once. Believers can experience severe suffering and grief, yet in the midst of that grief have a real and abiding joy. And now let's talk about how that is the case, why that is the case. How can we have joy in the midst of grief and suffering? And for that, I, in your notes, I put the basis of joy. What is the basis of our joy? Well, again, look at verse 6. Peter writes, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. So what is the this? Because he's saying, in, in this you rejoice. So what's the this? Well, it's their salvation, right? It's the guarantee of their salvation that he's been describing in verses 3 through 5. It's the fact that they've been born again into this living hope and into a promised inheritance that they, are, they know they will receive because they themselves are being guarded by God's power through faith until the end. So in your notes, I worded it this way. The basis of our joy is God and the salvation he gives us in Christ. The basis of our joy is God and the salvation he gives us in Christ. Aren't you glad that's the basis of our joy, by the way? I mean, what if the basis of our joy was my circumstances? (laughs) What if the basis of our joy was how well I'm doing in my Christian life? You know, how well I have it all together. (laughs) That's not a very reliable basis, is it? (laughs) But God... And the salvation he gives us in Christ, that is a firm basis for joy. That is an unshakable basis for joy. So be encouraged by that. As believers, we do, no matter what we're facing, no matter the the real grief it may be causing, we have much to rejoice in. We know that we've been reconciled to God, right? Salvation is ultimately about God, It's about being reconciled to our creator. God is our father now. He's no longer our enemy. He's forgiven us. He loves us. He's adopted us into his family. God loves us and he's promised us a certain future. That's what Peter's been praising God for in the previous verses, right? This wonderful inheritance. The future bodily resurrection and eternal life with God and being with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in a body like His in a, in a perfect place. We have a wonderful future awaiting us. We have a wonderful salvation because we've already been reconciled to God and these things are certainties. These are rock-solid, unchanging realities God and the salvation that he gives us in Christ is the basis for our joy. And those things will not change because they've already been purchased. They've already been secured by the finished work of Jesus Christ. And again, Peter pointed us to the fact that Jesus is alive. Right? This is a living hope. It's guaranteed. He's already done all that needed to be done. (laughs) We know the Father has accepted his his work on our behalf. We have a living Savior and thus we have this living hope. Our salvation is certain. Our relationship with God is secure. And that is not affected by our circumstances. It's not affected by trials. 
The trials we experience, the suffering we go through, does not change the fact that we are saved and reconciled to God. And it does not change the fact that we have a future salvation awaiting us. And again, the the Bible teaches that our reconciliation to God is already that down payment with promise of the, the final future payment to come. We have the Holy Spirit as that down payment. And so no matter what is going on in our lives, we can rejoice in God. We can rejoice in who God is and what he has done for us through Jesus Christ. That's what our scripture reading was about, right? Romans, in the Apostle Paul says in Romans 8 that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Not famine or nakedness or sword. See, he's talking about trials. He's talking about persecution. He's talking about suffering. But he's saying those things are painful. They hurt. But they don't separate us from the love of God in Christ. They don't take away the basis of our joy that we belong to God and that we'll be with him forever. Our inheritance is already secured by Christ. And again, like Peter has taught us, it's been given to us. It's, it's been kept in heaven for us. So no, no amount of suffering or difficulty or persecution will change what God has promised to give us. So that gives us real joy, even in the midst of pain. And so we can feel those two things at once. Yes, this suffering, I wish this suffering would end. Yes, this suffering is painful. Yes, this suffering is causing me grief. But there's still this abiding joy because I know God loves me. I know he's in control. We're going to talk about that, right? He's, he's, he's brought this into my life for a reason. But I know where I'm headed. I know I'm going to spend eternity with him. So think about how the suffering you face now, how all of that is going to be rectified in the future. All right, let's get kind of specific with that. The types of suffering we face now, those are the very things that Christ has conquered and will be eradicated in the future. Even though, like for example, even though now we go through trials of health, Right? We, deal, we, we, we suffer with sicknesses and diseases and, and death of loved ones and, and facing our own coming death. Those, that's the very thing that Christ has conquered. We know that one day we will be raised from the dead in a glorified physical body never to die again. We'll be with Jesus in a body that has no more sickness. And that's our hope. And so we rejoice in that. That this suffering I'm going through is not the last word. Even though we suffer now under the, the, the pain of conflict and broken relationships, right? That's, that's a, a, a special kind of suffering. That's a suffering that brings a, a type of grief that, that really cuts deep, doesn't it? When, the, when relationships in our families or in, in the body of Christ or, or with coworkers, whoever it might be, when those things are, are, are broken, and, and really in a bad place. That brings a lot of grief. But we can, we can still have joy. We need to bring those things to God, certainly. We want to try to, as much as it depends on us, live at peace with all people. So if there's whatever we can be doing to help mend that. But 
we can have joy knowing it's not always going to be that way. That Christ has secured um, perfect fellowship in the future. We have joy knowing that one day we'll be with, with Jesus and all the saints in glory and there's going to be no more of this brokenness. And that gives us joy. Even though as Christians we suffer persecution under ungodly leadership. Right? And we know our brothers and sisters experience this even in more extreme ways. But we, like the people Peter was writing to, we're starting to see it in increasing ways as well. So we suffer under that and it causes grief right now. But we know that God is sovereign and that one day Christ is returning. And and all evil is going to be judged. Christ is going to right every wrong. And that one day we'll live in perfect peace. In his eternal kingdom. Again, I've been thinking about the natural disasters that we just keep seeing. Like every week, right? Just devastation. And the suffering that brings. One day, Jesus is going to bring in the new heavens and the new earth. A place of perfect peace. No more, no more groaning of creation under the curse. No more suffering. So we take joy in that. So these... I hope you see how all these realities that are are promised living hope, how it it applies to even the suffering we're going through now, and it should give us joy in knowing that these trials and sufferings do not affect our future salvation, and matter of fact, they will be eliminated in our future salvation. So they're temporary, and that's what I wanted to make sure and point out to you, by the way. Look at verse 6. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. That's another reason for joy right there, right? Is yes, the suffering, the, the, the grief, the pain is real right now. I feel it. But you can have joy and hope in knowing it's for a little while. It's for a little while. And again, trials come in various um, durations. Some people... And, Right? Or dealing with things that are going to affect them their whole life. But even, even our, our lives here are like a vapor. And compared to eternity, Peter can say it's a little while. It's a little while that you're going to have to suffer with fighting that disease. It's a little while that you're going to have to suffer dealing with that sin and that conflict. That's a little while in light of eternity. And it's hard for us to even wrap our minds around that, right? But we know We're going to have an eternity of peace and joy with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So I hope you're seeing that these things are good news and they're the reason we can have joy even in the midst of of the grief, right? The basis for our joy is God and the salvation he gives us in Christ. Our circumstances change, and I know how easy it is to tie our joy to our circumstances, but that's a bad plan, okay? Because... Again, you know, one day you may be up, another day you may be down. But let's, by God's grace, let's seek to tie our joy, our hope to God and the salvation he provides because those things don't change, okay? Now let's keep talking about suffering, though. I want us to see um, from the text what God is doing through this suffering because that will help us have joy in the midst of the suffering, Right? It's, yes, there's, there's a certain amount of joy in knowing that, okay, this is only going to last for a little while. <laughs> you know? But 
we can also derive joy from knowing that this suffering does have a purpose. God is using it in our lives. It's not just, you know, collateral damage from the fall. No, God is sovereignly um, bringing this suffering into our lives for a loving purpose. So here's number two under the results of suffering. We already talked about the first one, right? That produces grief. Number two, suffering leads to assurance of salvation. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. Suffering leads to assurance of salvation. Let's look at the text and try to sort that out together. Verse 6, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. Here it is, verse 7, so that there's the purpose clause. Now he's going to tell us why are we going through these trials? Why are we going through this suffering? Why are we experiencing this grief? Well, God does have a purpose. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So you see, God uses trials and suffering to test the genuineness of our faith. In other words, God uses trials and suffering, the trials and suffering we experience to reveal if our faith is real or not. We know, unfortunately, there are many in this life who, are, who have a phony faith, who are nominal Christians, meaning they're Christians in name only, right? And oftentimes why that happens is there are people that have misunderstood what the call to follow Christ, and they think, well, yeah, I want to follow Christ. You know, I want to have my blessed life now. They think following Christ means uh, uh, a life of wealth and ease and, and, and happiness, and again, I, I know there's, some, there's certainly joy that comes from it, but you see what I mean? They're misunder, they misunderstand. They had wrong expectations. So they, they said a prayer, they signed a card, they walked an aisle because they thought becoming a Christian was going to mean smooth sailing for them. It was going to make their life so much better. Okay. Well, what God does then is when trials come into our life, and especially, let's say, someone faces persecution for following Christ, when following Christ starts to cost them something, then the people that signed up for it only for the benefits, they're going to be like, forget it. This, this wasn't what I thought it was going to be, right? This wasn't what I signed up for. And, and they're going to walk away. And what it's revealing is they never had genuine faith. They never embraced Christ's true call to take up their cross, and follow him down the path of suffering. They had, a, they had a phony faith. And so when suffering and persecution comes, they quit following Christ. So yes, God uses the trials. He uses suffering, especially he uses persecution to weed out those who are Christians in name only. But then the flip side is also true too, and that's why I say assurance of salvation. God, trials also prove when a person's faith is genuine, And again, that's what the text is saying. So that the tested genuineness of your faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Think about it. When a professing Christian goes through trials and they, by God's grace, they come 
out of those trials or they endure those trials still following Christ, in fact, clinging even closer to Christ, then that just gives them, it gives others just this confirmation, this assurance that, you know what, you have genuine faith. By God's grace, he's done a work in you. You, I see God at work in you. You're continuing to trust Christ. You're continuing to have joy in the Lord, even though you're going through pain. You're continuing to praise your Savior, even though it's, it's costing you something. It's cost you relationships. It's cost you, right? Other countries cost you your, your job, your, your place of living, even your, the safety of your own life. But yet you're continuing to follow Christ. Praise God, he's done a work in you. Look at how Paul writes the, the churches that he writes to. He's like, brothers, I know that you have been called by God. I think that was to the Thessalonians he said that, right? And he says, because you turn from idols to serve the living God, and you, you keep following God even though it's, you're suffering persecution. So God uses trials to, to show that our faith is genuine. And that's why I say trials are used to give the true believer assurance of his or her faith in Christ. Because like I said, a true believer, as they go through trials, and again, we're not going to do this perfectly, right? We're, we may have some moments where we're, we're not uh, responding correctly to the trials. But God is patient, he's sanctifying us, and we're going to come through actually clinging closer to Christ, being conformed more to the image of Christ. We're going to come through with a stronger faith, with a deeper assurance that by God's grace, I am a Christian. And think of what a blessing that is, loved ones. What, what kind of price can you put on assurance? <laughs> what a blessing assurance of salvation is. Think of how precious a proven, genuine faith in Christ is. Verse 7 says it's more precious than gold. Why? Why is, why is genuine faith so precious? Why, why is it such a blessing to have that assurance of genuine faith in Christ? Well, because faith is essential to our salvation, isn't it? Genuine faith is what unites us to Christ. We are saved by grace through faith in Christ. So we're not saved by our faith. It's, it's Christ's finished work that saves us, and it's God's grace that has provided that. But, but we're, that is a, a pro, the work of Christ is appropriated to us through faith. Faith is essential. It's so important that our faith in Christ is genuine and pure. It's so important that we're not, again, nominal Christians, Christians just in name. Genuine faith is more valuable than the most expensive things of this world. Again, I know we can read Scripture and, and we see, you know, more precious than gold and sweeter than honey. And, and you know, sometimes we just think, oh, that's, that's cute. You know, that's kind of... Poetic or whatever, but right? Peter's not being poetic here. This isn't a poem. <laughs> He's saying it's more precious than gold. Genuine Christian faith is more valuable than the most expensive things of the world. Or let me say it another way, a way that it probably hits home for us more. Genuine faith is more important than our comfort. 
right? That's why we don't like trials. That's why we don't like suffering. Again, it's understandable, right? We want to be comfortable. We want to be comfortable. But God says, no, I want you to be sanctified. And I want your faith to be genuine. And I want you to have the joy of that assurance that your faith is genuine. And so I'm bringing these trials into your life. I'm stripping things away so that you can say, all I have is Christ, right? God uses trials and suffering to reveal and purify our true faith. (laughs) So we can sing that great hymn, right? Jesus is my life. All I have is Christ. This pure faith that remains is more precious than gold because this genuine faith will result in our ultimate salvation and our final glorification. That's what Peter is saying in verse 7. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold though it perish, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Okay, when is the revelation of Jesus Christ? What does that mean? That's his return, right? That's his second coming. And that's when our glorification is going to take place. That's when we're going to be raised with Christ. That's when the new heavens and new earth is coming in. That's when we receive our final salvation. And so he's saying, I want the genuineness of your faith proven so that in the end, you'll be raised with Christ. And Ultimately, God will get the glory. I think technically right here, the praise, glory, and honor, that's, that's kind of talking about us, right? That we're going to be glorified. We're going to be honored as we're raised with Christ. And, but we know that any, any honor or glory is going to immediately reflect right back to God. God, you did this. Christ, you secured this. Praise God. All praise for our salvation will go to our triune God. Our glorification Think about this. Our glorification is going to mean amazing joy for us and it's going to result in a lot of praise for God. For all eternity, we are going to be displays of God's glory. For all eternity, we're going to be trophies that apparently the angelic world is going to be taking note of and being like, wow, okay. God saved him. God saved her. Wow. Isn't God amazing? Look at how gracious God is that he would adopt these rebels into his family, that he would give them this beautiful inheritance. Look at how powerful God is because we remember what that guy was like. We remember how he was in bondage to sin. And yet now look at him. God has saved him. God has glorified him. He's been made like his Savior. Look at how wise God is. He... he, found a way to be loving and yet not compromise his justice, to be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Christ, our final salvation is going to bring glory to God for all eternity. So that is a reason for joy in our suffering, is that it's giving us assurance of our salvation presently and our salvation to come. One more reason I want to give you. That's the third result of suffering. And it, and it flows right out of this one. You know, we've kind of been dancing around it a little bit. Suffering draws us closer to God now. That's the third and final result. 
Suffering draws us closer to God now. Having mentioned Christ's return there at the end of verse 7, when he says the revelation of Christ, Peter now directs our focus squarely to Jesus Christ in verse 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So again, so far the focus of the passage has been primarily on our future salvation and how important faith is to that. Faith is what unites us to Christ. Faith is precious. And so it's, it, it, it's worth going through trials to have the genuineness of our faith proven. By the way, talking about how precious faith is, how it's more precious than gold, it's worth asking yourself, Do I have faith? Do I have faith in Christ? Right? You know, a lot of us get focused on something, and maybe you have as a goal, you know, in different stages of life, we're focused on something that is so valuable to us, right? For some of you young people, it's like, I just want a phone, you know? Oh, I just want a phone, right? Or... Or maybe it's, you know, I, I just want a car, or I just want a job, or I just want a, a, a boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever. I don't know what it is. Do you know one of the most valuable things in your life is faith in Christ? That's what Peter's saying, faith in Christ. Genuine faith in Christ. Again, because that's what unites us to Christ, and the most valuable person is God, Father, Son, Spirit, our Lord Jesus Christ, our salvation. We know faith is a gift from God, but if you don't have faith in Christ, I would encourage you to pray, pray, ask God to give you faith in Christ, ask God to strengthen your faith in Christ, ask God to use even the suffering you're going through to purify and, and, and again, strengthen and draw you closer to God. And that's where I'm going with this last point. Suffering draws us closer to God now. It's not only just about the future and the assurance. It's we get that assurance even now, right? The Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And so Peter's writing to believers, right, who by God's grace are believers, they, they haven't seen Jesus, they're not like Peter, they weren't able to be with Jesus personally, but yet they've heard the gospel, and by God's grace they've responded, they, they believe in Jesus, they have, they've seen him with the eyes of faith, even though they haven't seen him with their physical eyes. They have Christ's spirit dwelling in them. They know that Jesus loves them. They know that Jesus died in order to save them. They know that Jesus rose again, and that one day they'll be with him. And so he's writing to Christians, and he's saying, though you've not seen him, you love him, and you believe in him. You're looking forward to that day when you'll see him in your glorified bodies. And so I love these verses, right? Though you've not seen him, you love him. That's why 1 Peter is so applicable to us. We're we're the elect exiles. We're following Christ in in a fallen world. We're like these Brothers and sisters, we've not seen Christ with our physical eyes yet. But by God's grace, we love him. 
His love has been poured into our hearts. He's given us the new birth. He's given us that faith to believe in him, and we love him, don't we? Right? Brother and sister in Christ, don't you love Jesus? Don't you love Jesus? And here's the reality. Suffering draws us closer to Jesus. Suffering draws us closer to Jesus. Trials cause us to seek him more fervently. Suffering causes us to pray more earnestly. Suffering helps us experience in greater ways how Jesus is our sympathetic high priest. Because he has suffered. He knows what it's like. Suffering helps us understand what Scripture says, that there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Suffering draws us closer to Jesus. The, again, um, James talks about this. Romans talks about this. How God uses trials to strengthen our faith. Another way of saying drawing us closer to, to Jesus. And many of you can testify to that, right? How God has used your suffering to draw you closer to the Lord, how you've experienced God's loving presence in more real ways during trials than we often do during times of ease and comfort. I wish it wasn't that way, right? I mean, don't you wish that you could just like be on this constant trajectory of growth and intimacy with the Lord and even during, even when everything's going great and, and, you know, in a way, I guess we should be able to because we have the means of grace at our disposal. But yet, perhaps suffering is even a means of grace. The fact is, we often get distracted, don't we? We love Jesus and we love to spend time with him. And when, by God's grace, we're able to set aside the distractions, leave our phones in another room... Turn off all the notifications, get alone with God and His Word, and maybe a journal or something. When we spend that time with the Lord, you guys know it is sweet, sweet time. And God draws you closer, doesn't He? So, why don't we do that more often? And again, some of you. God's helped you be disciplined in that. Some of us, we need trials to get us to do that, don't we? When trials and suffering come into your life, then suddenly all the things that were distracting you before start to pale in comparison. You say, I need the Lord. And so God draws you closer during times of suffering. Also, the Bible teaches that Suffering for the name of Christ brings a unique intimacy with Jesus as we fellowship in his sufferings. Paul speaks about that in Philippians 3.10 and, and in elsewhere. And I don't, I don't feel qualified to talk about that. Our persecuted brothers and sisters in Christ could probably talk about that a lot better than I could. But suffering, you know, there's different kinds of suffering, right? There's suffering from just living in a fallen world. There's suffering from persecution, and the Bible says that kind of suffering 
suffering because of the name of Christ, it, it, it's going to result in a type of intimacy with Jesus that, that you've never known. Praise God that he does that for his people who are going through that. So, yes, suffering brings grief. But God also uses suffering to give us assurance of our salvation and to draw us closer to him. That's, that's the, the sermon in a nutshell. God uses suffering to give us assurance of our salvation and to draw us closer in him. Therefore, even in the midst of the pain and grief, we can have joy knowing that God is at work, knowing that God has a loving purpose, knowing that he has lovingly brought this suffering into our lives for our good and his glory And we can have joy knowing that the suffering is for a little while. And that we have an eternity of of, uh, salvation, of joy awaiting us. One more thing I just want to point out to you. Another kind of blessing of suffering that I didn't, I guess, explicitly put in the outline. But suffering and joy in the midst of suffering is going to open doors for you to testify to the beauty and the sufficiency of Christ. As God gives you joy in the midst of your suffering, it is going to give open doors for the gospel to spread. Because others are going to be looking at you and saying, how in the world are you getting through this? Right? I, you know, I, I can only imagine that what you're going through right now, you know, your life, whatever the case may be. And again, what an opportunity that is to say, it, it's, trust me, it's not me. If it was up to me, I'd be falling apart. I'd be looking to all the things of the world to numb my pain. It's the Lord. It's the Lord. He's giving me strength to endure. And, I have, and I'm, he just reminds me again and again that he loves me, that he saved me, that I'm going to be with him forever. Just an open door for share words that are seasoned with grace, are full of grace and seasoned with salt. Praise God for that opportunity. May God use our suffering to, to, to spread the gospel even and bring others to know him. So, loved ones, please be encouraged, especially those of you who are in difficult situations. I don't I don't minimize your, your pain. I don't minimize your suffering. And I hope that as a body we can sit with you through that. But be encouraged that the pain of this short life is a little while compared to the joy of eternity. That one day the trials of this life are going to be over. One day that heaven that you're longing for is in fact going to be your home. One day you're going to be with your Savior in a place of no more pain and no more sorrow and no more sin, and no more death. And until that time, you have your Lord and Savior, who is the Good Shepherd, who is with you every step of the way. And we have an opportunity to know him in greater ways, to know his peace, to know his love, to see his beauty, even in the midst of this suffering. Let's pray. Father, please use your word. And, and to encourage hearts, to point us to Christ. And again, please give grant faith to any who don't have it this morning, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.
Amen. Let's stand together, please. Singer, one more song in praise. <laughs>